0: On September 12, 1995, McKay Everett disappeared from his home in Conroe, Texas.
2: There was no sign of forced entry. It was just as if McKay had walked out of his own free will.
0: And to this day, McKay's mother, Paulette, feels that justice was never truly served. Ransom is available now. Listen at RansomPodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are solely those of the individuals participating in the show and do not represent those of Tenderfoot TV and Resonate Recordings. All individuals described or mentioned in the podcast should be considered innocent until found guilty in a court of law. This podcast contains subject matter such as violence and graphic descriptions, which may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The purpose of this episode is very similar to what we did in our first bonus episode. And that is ultimately just to give more insight into what it's been like working on this case and making a podcast on it. In that first bonus episode, I interviewed our producer, Jessica, who's been a tremendous help in investigating and making this podcast. And as a reminder, she's a local to Brown County, Ohio, Uh, has spent most of her life in that area. So I felt it important to talk with her and get her insight on the case as someone who's been around it and known about it for some time now. And in this episode, I want to flip the script on that. Now we're much further into our investigation. We're much further into the podcast. And so I thought it'd be nice to have Jessica instead interview me for this one so that you all can learn more about what it's looked like from my perspective.
2: Okay, Dennis. So you had a very, very successful season one of Culpable. I've got to know, what are some of the challenges you faced in doing a second season of such a successful podcast?
1: Well, first of all, thanks for the kind words. Yeah, obviously season one, uh, as you said, was a great success in a lot of different ways but season one was, let me think of the best word, exhausting. And and I'll try and connect it to this as best I can. So season one, for the most part, we didn't know what the heck we were doing, but I think we did our best with that and and learned and grew along the way and ultimately did help make a difference in that case. And that's ultimately the goal here. But at the end of it all, There was also a lawsuit and yeah, I talked about that in an episode that we did after the season one completion, just that is very much a learning process. And, um, you know, fortunately we won that case and it's over and done with. And so that's good. But in in the moment itself, it was very draining. It's not something I'd experienced before and making a investigative podcast wasn't something I'd experienced before. So, you know, it wrapped up and I had just been so heavily involved in this podcast and, you know, that puts a strain on things like your home life and, and family, like my family had to sacrifice a lot for me to be able to do that. And then, you know, when it's all said and done and you kind of start to kick your feet up and relax and think, okay, let's take some time off and I'm burnt out. There's no way I'm doing a season two anytime soon. Like, let's just take some time away. And then bam. Bam. And then you're slapped with a lawsuit over it. And then, so that's some long drawn out process too, and just adds more stress. So it kind of felt like it took a long time to get out from underneath that cloud from season one. But at the same time, deep down, I was I was itching to do it again. Um, and I knew that we would want to do a season two of pool. I enjoy doing this. So it's just one of those things that just everything needed to align, like needed to get that stuff off the plate, needed to spend some time away from podcasting and, and more time with family and come back rejuvenated. And, and the stars aligned in a way that, you know, as soon as I'm kind of starting to think about producing another podcast, you came along. And along with you came this story that you wanted to cover. And so it was just kind of perfect timing. You know, I felt like I was ready to do this. And then this case just sort of fell in my lap, sort of the same way that season one did. And it was like, I got to do this one. And then there's challenges beyond that, too, because like in season one, the victim, Christian, his his girlfriend, for example, did not want to talk to us. It's understandable. In this case, Brittany's husband, Shane, was more than happy to talk to us. But on top of that, in season one, the Meridian police didn't want to talk to us. Again, understandable. But in this case, the Brown County Sheriff's Office Sergeant Quinn Carlson, he did want to. You know, he said he'd be foolish to not talk to us. Like, why not accept, you know, an offer from somebody wanting to do a story on this and, and put it out there for the world? So, you know, I wouldn't say that those were challenges we faced this season, but I would say that, like, it was nice to not have to face some of those challenges, especially coming on the tail end of such an exhausting process. It really made this whole process a lot easier to get behind and, and get excited about in a sense of, feeling like people were willing to talk and having a producer who lives there and knows so much about it and those types of things so it's it's really it's really given a huge boost and it's really reaffirmed the whole podcasting thing and 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 being a the creator of culpable um you know it feels like we're on the right track of take a lot of pride in the work that we've done on this season and um excited to see how everything wraps up and excited to see what's next
2: so Dennis as an outsider I want to know what it was like for you stepping into another small town, another small county, like you did in the first season.
1: I would say it was eerily similar. Obviously, Brown County, Ohio, and Meridian, Mississippi are very different in a lot of ways, but they also have their similarities. Feels like most people know everybody, and you hear a lot through the rumor mill. Uh, in these types of places. And so in a lot of ways, it was similar, and I felt surprisingly comfortable going into Brown County, Ohio, uh, and working on the story.
2: Okay, to to kind of further that a little bit, I got to know, what was your first thought when you stepped into Brown County, and what what do you feel like about it now?
1: Being from Kentucky myself, I didn't feel like I was stepping into too foreign of an area, I guess you could say. But again, it it has its uniqueness. And Brown County obviously spans many different villages and towns, but you brought this story to us and and you live in Georgetown. If I remember correctly, that's where things kind of started. We met you at uh, the Jesus mural, which is a staple of that area, which is Probably one of the biggest murals I've ever stood next to, and 100% the biggest Jesus mural I've ever stood next to. And so that kind of just set the tone for things. And I remember sort of debriefing with you. And the reason we were there was, of course, to go meet the the Dodsons, Brittany's parents, Dave and Mary. I'm a firm believer that in doing these types of podcasts, you know, if you have the ability to speak with the victim's family, there's just not really a better place to start. And of course, if you have listened to the podcast, you know uh, how unique and how special that time was. Even something as simple as just walking onto their property, felt like we kind of had something special here because, because they live on what's called Red Oak Creek Farm. And as we pull up and we talk about this in the podcast, there's just like tons of vintage vehicles and there's a bunch of grandkids running around. So it feels wholesome. And there's You know, ducks walking up, and you can see all these animals off to the side. And it's just kind of like, where the heck are we? Like I said, it didn't, I didn't feel out of place or anything. If anything, it was more excitement of like, oh, well, now I got to meet these people. And now I got to learn more about Brittany.
2: I feel this when I'm here, even though we're talking to them, we're sitting down and talking to them about such a tragic event in their life and their emotional. They're still the most welcoming, wholesome people that you'll ever meet.
1: Yeah, there's definitely another parallel there to season one in a sense of, you know, just couldn't feel more welcome walking into the place. You know, they're just clearly appreciative that that we even want to sit down and talk with them about this. There's kind of this feeling of like a, a level of trust there that usually you got to earn with people. So just just very great people. And and very gracious for for their time and and being as welcome as they were.
2: You know, you now have talked to locals and we've interviewed folks here and you know just as well as anyone now how many rumors and theories swirl around this county. How do you feel about the theories that, that we've heard around town and now those theories are swirling on social media? So it's not just in this this bubble of Brown County anymore. This is worldwide.
1: Well, as you know, there's been an abundance. My understanding is there always has been. And here we are now. And there's there's still a lot you hear. And there's still a lot that we are considering and weighing out and digging into on a day-to-day basis. And I think that's one of the things that drew me to this case early on was that when we spoke with Sergeant Quinn Carlson who's the lead detective on this case, he likened this case to a who And it was actually probably around that moment that I started to get this feeling that like maybe that's what culpable is. You know, we didn't really quite have an identity I felt like in in our first season we covered a you know, a case of is it, you know, homicide versus suicide. And I knew I didn't want to take it that route in terms of just covering cases like that, but all I have to say when the lead detective told us early on that this is a who done it. You know, they've had avenues that they've explored and gone down, it seems like something it just falls apart. And they've had new things come up as of recently that they're a lot of optimism in. And so that's just kind of been the history of it. And as I sit here now <laughs> talking about this, it doesn't feel like we're at square one, but in a lot of ways there's just a lot of stuff to weigh out on this and overall and a lot of things to consider and a lot of things that you can connect dots on and make sense of everybody who's kind of come up in this and all the theories that have come up make sense in a lot of ways, but then also like you can poke holes in them. And, and we kind of get into that a- in the podcast. And at the end of the day, like that's what I've learned in this is this really is a who done it type of case. And I guess I'm drawn to those. And I think a lot of people are, you know, that's why a lot of people listen to these. And that's why a lot of people really appreciate like on the ground, Live investigative podcast is because you feel like you're taking a part in it too. You know we want to get past the theories and actually find out what exactly happened, and and everybody's pouring effort in, into trying to figure that out. And so, yeah, I mean, I feel like we've made some headway, but at the end of the day, this is still very much a who done it. As a culpable listener, you know the world can be a dangerous and unpredictable place. One thing I've learned working in true crime is that your best line of defense is vigilance and preparation, which is why I recommend simply safe Home Security. I happen to live in a pretty nice neighborhood, but as you know, crime has a way of being anywhere at any time, even when you least expect it. When our car was broken into and items were stolen, I was so relieved to know that my home security system got the footage, and it eventually led to us being reimbursed by the perpetrator once they were caught crime is just waiting to happen so be prepared at all times and equip yourself with Simply Safe the best home security system of 2024 according to US News and World Report Simply Safe has given me and many of my listeners real peace of mind and i want you to have it too get 20% off any new Simply Safe system when you sign up for Fast Protect monitoring just visit slash culpable that's simplysafe.com Slash, culpable. There's no safe like Simply Safe.
0: Do you ever wish you could become a detective and help find the clues to the case? How about all of that in a mobile game that you can take anywhere? In June's journey, each scene leads to a new thrilling storyline. Uncover the mystery of June's sister's murder and find out about scandalous family secrets. Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android.
2: You know, whodunits have so many challenges to them for law enforcement. So I want to ask you, someone who's not in law enforcement, what's been the biggest challenge for you looking into Brittany's case?
1: It's just been the tug of war, the back and forth, the thinking you know something and then realizing, oh, maybe I don't, (laughs) maybe I'm wrong on that. It's taken some time, but it does feel like there's a sense of direction. And that's an exciting and a good feeling. And that's how I know that, like, the biggest frustration would have been the flip side of that, which is just the normal challenge of working a whodunit case and not really feeling too confident in any one direction.
2: I feel like the tug of war you're referring to is when you and I have discussions about the theories and different uh, evidence or or people that we're talking about and in, in this case and and what we think could be a possibility. You know, police haven't figured it out in nine years. So I think the challenge of us trying to piece together this story without a resolution to the case itself is definitely a challenge. But the conversations we have behind the scenes are so fascinating because we're going through all those theories and then we go through what we've uncovered or who we've spoken to. And does that line up with this? And then the way we're able to present that for the listener in a very digestible episode is pretty incredible for this case.
1: I think you just kind of hit on it. It's now a nine going on 10 year unsolved case. And so it's a long time. People remember things differently over time. This case has gone through numerous investigators' hands. It's had its highs. It's had its lows. There's a lot of digging and a lot of uh, connecting of dots that that has to go on when you're trying to dissect a case that's that old.
2: A lot of the things that we're covering in this have never been made public. Uh, Folks who've never spoken before about this case. And at the end of the day... That's the end game is that that this podcast and Brittany's story is going to compel the person who knows the right information to come forward to talk to law enforcement so that they can finally solve this case and bring some justice to Brittany and Aubrey and the whole Dotson family.
1: Yeah, the Brown County Sheriff's Office has pertinent information that's been made clear and they're currently working with some newer technology to try and piece some of the information they have together. As you know, he talked to us about that. And he says, you know, while he's optimistic about that, at the end of the day, what he knows will solve it is somebody coming forward with, with information that, that ties to information that they already know. And yeah, you can't say that better. That'd be true for, I think, most any case, but especially in one like this where you just don't have a ton of physical evidence. But at the end of the day, they have information and, and obviously one thing that could break this thing open is somebody coming forward and, and validating or or matching some of that information. And the way you, you typically do that is to put the story out there and get not just Brown County, but the world talking about it, you know, light that fire. If you have the best chance of having somebody come forward, I, I would imagine it's probably that way. It's It's somebody, whether they're linked to this in a good way or a bad way, whether they were just some person driving down the highway that night, it could be somebody who was with or knows valuable information specific to her murder and has been afraid to come forward. And so you kind of just hope that that hearing this story um, one way or another will propel that person to come forward. So I think Quinn is right in a sense of like that's, that's the best way to put this thing to rest. And that's why we do these types of things. It's if we can help break it wide open, fantastic. If we can find a piece of new information, that's great. But, but the, the biggest thing you can do is get the story out there and get the world listening to it and talking about it.
0: I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today.
2: Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight, the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than six million families building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at Greenlight.com slash odyssey. That's Greenlight.com slash Odyssey.
0: Hey, I'm Brett podolsky
2: I want to switch gears a minute and ask you my final question. Obviously, my connection to this case stems from a geographic standpoint, as well as mutual acquaintances and friends in my community compounded by this empathy that I feel for my neighbors, which is how I feel about Brittany and her family. What is it for you that you feel connects you to this case and to Brittany?
1: I think the first thing that draws me to this case, not just in terms of story, but like an emotional element to it is I have kids of my own and I did when, when we covered Christian's case in Meridian as well. And so uh, hearing about uh, a family losing their child is hard enough information itself to process, you know, you just feel so much compassion for those people and I want to help them, and I feel for them. And so, you know, this is the Brittany Stikes case, but at the end of the day, she lost an unborn child. You know, she didn't even get, get to meet her second child, who she knew she was pregnant with when the murder happened. And so on top of that, her one-year-old daughter is in the vehicle next to her, and she didn't get to experience life with her mom. And vice versa, you know, Brittany didn't get to... Do all the things that a mom should be able to do with, with her daughter. When you start to get into this type of thing, you you see that sort of trickle down effect, and you really start to think about those emotional details in it of what this must be like for these people. Uh, and again, like I can't put myself in your shoes, but I feel for you. And and let me just you know, let me try my best to understand where you're coming from. And more than anything, just let you tell that to the world.
2: You nailed that as far as a connection to this case because the connection that you build with with those people in this story is what creates the story. As we've said before, this is Brittany's story. She's not just a case number. She was a mother and a daughter and a sister and all these things and she was lost. That Immediate connection with her loved ones is what not only connects you and I to this story but then it connects the audience in a way that all the investigation and all the case file information we can get our hands on is never going to do justice.
1: Culpable is a production of Resonate Recordings and Tenderfoot TV in conjunction with Cadence 13, written and hosted by me, Dennis Cooper, and produced by Jessica Knoll. Executive producers are myself, Mark Minnery, Jacob Bozarth, Donald Albright, and Payne Lindsey. Our senior producer is John Street. Additional production by Todd McComas. Editing, mixing, mastering, and sound design by Dayton Cole Pat Kicklighter, Adam Townsell, and Caleb Melcher of the Resonate Recordings team. If you have a podcast or are looking to start one, check us out at resonaterecordings.com. Our theme song and original score is by Dirt Poor Robbins with additional scoring by Dayton Cole. Our cover art is by Drew Bardana. You can follow us on social media at Culpable Podcasts. Show notes as well as bonus content can be found on our website com. If you enjoyed this episode, please take time to subscribe, rate and review. Your feedback is greatly appreciated. And lastly, if you have any information about the murder of Brittany Stikes, we urge you to contact the Brown County Sheriff's Office by visiting their website, browncountyohiosheriff.us, where you can anonymously submit your information. Or, you can contact Sergeant Quinn Carlson directly at 937-378-4435 extension 126 or by email at quinncarlson at bcoso.com. You can also submit your information through our website culpablepodcast.com. Thank you for listening.